We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 425 of the Pack-A-Day podcast, the special post-game edition of the show. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me at Packer Report, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Today, I'm going to be breaking down the Packers' 27-16 victory over the Denver Broncos. Of course, the Packers moved to 3-0 on the season. Lots to discuss, lots to cover. I want to start off just by kind of going over some of the statistics. We'll go through some standout players, a lot of my observations from today's game. Let's kick it off and get started right away. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 17 of 29, 235 yards and a touchdown, no picks. Uh, Jamal Williams had an interesting day, 12 carries, 59 yards. Uh, MVS, 6 catches, 99 yards and a touchdown. Blake Martinez led the way with 12 tackles. Preston Smith had three sacks and a forced fumble. Zadarius Smith had two sacks. Rashawn Gary had his first sack of his NFL career, also had a fumble recovery. And then, of course, Jair Alexander with that incredible forced fumble and fumble recovery of his own. Uh, some, you know, definitely some standout players from today's games. And uh, wasn't always the cleanest game. The defense had some struggles. The offense had some struggles. Uh, of course, I think uh, you're always going to take a win in the NFL and uh, a 27 to 16 victory at home. Uh, you're not going to complain about that too much. Let's start with some of the standout players first and foremost. 
I want to start with basically the two players who we've been highlighting every single game through three weeks so far, and that's Preston and Zadarius Smith. The Smith brothers, uh, the two players who have not only made an impact on the field, but in the locker room. Matt LaFleur made mention of that in his press conference again today. These two players have just been an absolute revolution for this defense. Uh, You go from Nick Perry and Reggie Gilbert and Clay Matthews to bringing in Preston and Zadarius Smith, uh, of course, Rashawn Gary as well. These two players have completely changed the tone of this defense. They've changed what type of production you can get from the edge rushers. They've changed the fact that Mike Pettin doesn't have to be 110% smoke and mirrors to try to get pressure on defense. They can get pressure on their own. Zadarius can play all over the place. We've seen Preston drop into coverage. We've seen them come up with big plays at big moments. Preston Smith with a, another uh, forced fumble today that really was a, a game-changing play in this game. Uh, you see Zadarius Smith end the game with a sack. The drive before, Preston Smith gets in there with a sack. It has just been so insanely incredible to watch how we how Green Bay has gone from a position of complete need that was completely bare. Yes, Kyler Fackrell had 10 sacks a season ago, and yes, he is a very solid rotational player and continues to be so for Green Bay, but this is just a night and day difference for what they have at that edge rusher position. Five sacks and a forced fumble for those two combined today. Uh, you just cannot say enough about the effort, the energy, the intensity that those two play with, and it really sets up the rest of the defense for their success. And uh, again, there's there's literally not enough words to go on about how those two have impacted this team so far. And let's not forget, those two signings were announced, uh, what, a few hours from one another? I mean, Brian Gutekunst just deserves so much credit uh, for going out and getting Adrian Amos, Zadari Smith, Preston Smith, Billy Turner uh, to open up free agency. He did not wait around. I've spoken about this before. There were three positions that were just of absolute epic need, safety, edge rusher, guard. Those were the three positions that consistently graded the lowest for me last year. He goes out and he gets two big-time players at each of those positions, Amos and Savage at safety, Zadarius Preston actually, and Rashawn Gary at edge, and then Elton Jenkins and Billy Turner at guard. He did not mess around. He did not wait uh, for players to get better. He did not just wait for, uh, you know, maybe a late round pick or an undrafted guy to need to step in and, and kind of take over maybe one of those positions. He attacked it aggressively, and now he has a aggressive attacking defense because of it. And uh, kudos again to Brian Gutekunst. Kudos to Preston and Zadarius Smith. Certainly the the two players that deserve a ton of kudos and a ton of talk uh, for their efforts through the first three games of this season. And we're kind of staying on the same page here as my second standout player from this game, and that's Darnell Savage, another player uh, that Brian Gutekunst deserves a ton of credit for going up and getting, again, moving up in the draft uh, to get their top-rated safety. And he has been a player that has been so fun to watch, especially when it's juxtaposed uh, against the safety player from a season ago with Kentrell Bryce and Haha Clinton Dix and Jermaine Whitehead and Eddie Pleasant and so on and so forth. Darnell Savage is a attacking, aggressive safety with ball skills. He comes up with the interception today, but it was a couple of the other plays that really stood out. Just how he comes down and attacks the football, the, the ball carrier and just makes football plays consistently. And, and I think that's something that, again, when you, when you put that against what Green Bay had and showed on tape a season ago, this is not a player that gets in the open field and is afraid to make a play. Now, 
you can point out and say the the Dalvin Cook play from from last week. No question. That's a play that he needs to play better. That needs to be a, you know, 15-25 yard gain instead of a 75 yard touchdown for Dalvin Cook. He will learn from that. And, and sometimes it's tough to get excited about some of the Darnell Savage plays because it's usually a, a play for the offense that was usually a successful play, right? So there were a couple plays in this game. Uh, I remember one where Philip Lindsley had a, a nine or ten yard gain up the middle, and it was a you know a nice pickup for Denver. But Darnell Savage just comes up aggressively and just puts an absolute thud on Philip Lindsley. And yes, again, you might look at it and say like, well, it's a good play for Denver, but it had the ability to be a much bigger play if Darnell Savage doesn't come up and play that perfectly. You know, later in the game he comes up, he's the last line of defense. Kevin King had missed a tackle. He's the last player to to come up and make a play, and he does so seamlessly and puts a pretty good, you know, hit on, uh, I think it was Phil Blinsley on that play once again. So uh, kudos to Darnell Savage. Again, he plays aggressive. He plays fast. There's going to be some ups and downs for him. And again, we saw that last week in Minnesota, uh, but he is a player that again, this week was flying around the football again, comes up with the interception and you're going to see a lot more out of that from him uh, in his young career and going forward as well. He's going to be a big time player for this defense. Next up for standout players, Jair Alexander. Uh, you know, he followed up a really nice week uh, last week with some ups and downs. Uh, there were a couple plays, you know, where he did get beat and uh, he missed a couple plays uh, in the running game as well against Minnesota. Again, you know, really playing against two of the best receivers in football. Certainly a winning performance, a, a very positive grade for me and my grades last week. Uh, but there are a couple plays that he would like to have back. Obviously, the big touchdown to Stephon Diggs. You could go back and forth how you want to analyze that one, but he was in a position to make a play on the ball and uh, just came up a little bit short. This week, there was really none of that. He he was sticky in coverage. Uh, you know, you end this game with uh, Emmanuel Sanders having two catches for 10 yards. Uh, just a massive game. And then you have the, the forced fumble, fumble recovery. That was a big game-changing moment as well. And that's just pure effort, energy, and intensity for Jair Alexander. Matt LaFleur was asked about him after the game, and he said, quote, you can't say enough about Jair and the effort and energy that he plays with every game. It's awesome to see when you stress something and he makes it come to life. So obviously Matt LaFleur, very impressed with Jair Alexander, uh, certainly a player that continues to get better and better and uh, is still so young in his career, and it's crazy where he's at uh, this early in that career. And then last on my list of standout players was Jamal Williams. Not a monster game by any stretch of the imagination, but 14 touches for 86 yards, uh, you know, was a factor uh, not only in the running game, but in the passing game as well. Uh, Again, not, not a breakout, you know, massive performance by any stretch of the imagination, but he really ground out some tough yards. I thought he ran hard. I thought he ran well and uh, was just a player that on offense for uh, a, a day in a game where there wasn't a lot of standout performances. MVS had a, a really nice game, but also had a couple drops. Rodgers had a nice game, but lost kind of some rhythm uh, as the game went on. I just thought really anytime Jamal Williams touched the ball today, he brought a little bit of energy, brought a little bit of swagger, and more importantly, just ran tough. So I wanted to shout out that as well. And then a, a quick shout out, not necessarily a standout player, but Rashawn Gary gets his first sack as well. Also had a fumble recovery. So a good, good day for him. And uh, he uh, certainly seems to be on the rise playing more every single game. And uh, we started seeing a little bit more results out of Rashawn today. So those were my standout players. Uh, The next thing I really wanted to touch on was the defense's day in general. This was a 
a much maligned performance in a lot of ways throughout the course of the game, at least if you were kind of paying attention to Twitter and how fans were reacting to it. And I guess that says a lot about the Packers defense if they're playing well enough that when they allow a total of 16 points and get three turnovers and a bunch of sacks in a game, that it looks like a a bad performance. And listen, that's not to say that there weren't some things that Green Bay needed to get cleaned up from this game. There absolutely were. They missed too many tackles. Uh, Denver had 149 yards rushing. Uh, They went 8 of 15, kind of 9 of 15 on third down conversions. They held the ball for 35 minutes and 24 seconds. So there were there were things that Green Bay's defense needed to do better, and I think if you look at plays like Philip Lindsay's touchdown, uh, you know where it was fourth and goal, and Dean Lowry had him behind the line of scrimmage, and then couldn't come down with a tackle. That's a play where I think you got to get cleaned up, and those are plays that Green Bay's defense has to make. But all in all. I thought this was still a pretty positive performance from the defense. So let's start with third down conversions. First of all, give Denver's offense credit for staying out of third and long situations. And I think this is really one of the biggest weapons that Green Bay has is Mike Patton and the sub-package defenses that he puts together on third and long, his pressure packages, being able to bring players from all different angles, completely confuse quarterbacks, That's a big weapon that Green Bay has. And I think Denver really went into this game saying, we can't let Green Bay beat us that way. And I think Minnesota kind of put together that blueprint a little bit. If you go back and watch that game, they stayed in a ton of base personnel. Uh, They didn't get a lot of three, four wide receiver looks on the field. And Green Bay wasn't really able to put a ton of their sub packages on the field in that game either. It hasn't been since week one where Green Bay was able to play a ton of their sub package defense. And I think Dean, uh, I think Denver really took kind of a page from Minnesota's playbook and, and tried to stay out of some of those situations. And really, they were successful. So if you look at their third down conversions, they had 15 of them. So they went 8 of 15 technically. That That's partly because Jair Alexander ripped the ball away after they had converted the first down. They had gotten past the first down marker. So let's take that turnover away and let's say that when they were actually trying to get the first down, they were 9 of 15 is how I'm going to look at it here. And when they were third down and six yards or less, They were 8 of 11 on third down. So again, 11 out of the 15 third down conversions were 6 yards or less, which is very manageable down in distance. Again, it it takes some of the the pressure packages and and what Mike Patton wants to do away. Uh, And a lot of those were 2 and 3 yard uh, conversions. So uh, 8 of 11 when it was 6 yards or less. When it was 7 yards or more, they only converted 1 out of every third down conversion. So first of all, credit again D- Denver's offense uh, for staying out of some of those third and long situations. But I do think Green Bay's defense still deserves a lot of credit in this game. So again, Denver did a lot of good, 149 yards rushing. They controlled the clock. They stayed out of third and, uh, third and long situations. But Green Bay's defense still had three turnovers, Uh, only allowed 16 points, had six sacks, only allowed 3.9 yards per carry. So while Denver's offense had a good day rushing the ball, only 3.9 yards per carry. So it wasn't like they were gashing them for a ton of long gains. And at the end of the day, they ended with, you know, five, six yards per carry, still only 3.9. So not terrible. Uh, They have not yet allowed 20 points in a game. So uh, held them to 16 points this game. So they've kind of kept that streak intact through three games. 
They've only allowed 35 points in three games, basically three points per quarter so far. So there are a lot of things that the defense has continued to do well and that continued into this game. And what you have to look at is not necessarily the yardage. You have to look at the points. This is a new era in the NFL. And if you kind of go back and study a lot of the defenses, this is not the first time you're going to hear, you know, bend but don't break. That's been something that's uh, been around for a very long time. But defenses have really embraced that, especially over the course of the last couple of years. They're willing to give up yardage and they're willing to give up, you know, 3.9 yards per carry if they're if they can limit the the opposing offense, uh, you know, any opportunity to get big plays and big, you know, big touchdown plays, especially what defensive coordinators really want you to do is they really want you to have to drive the length of the field, go 70, 75, 80 yards and uh, make it, you know, make it one of these 15, 20, you know, 15 to 18 play drives uh, in order to score a touchdown. And Green Bay's really done a nice job with that. So today they actually allowed two touchdown drives and those were actually the first two touchdown drives that they allowed all season long. Uh, if you look at the two touchdowns against Minnesota, huge run by Delvin Cook, huge uh, catch by Stephon Diggs, no touchdowns for Chicago. And then today they allowed the the two big uh, actual drives. Yeah, I think they're around 15 play drives uh, to Denver where they actually allowed touchdowns. One of those was on the fourth down conversion. But what they're trying to do is make you do that consistently. And the thinking behind that is when you have to go those 15 play-ish drives and you can't get big explosive plays, at some point you're going to make a mistake. And maybe that's a sack where it puts you into one of those you know third and long situations and you have to punt the ball away. Maybe it's a holding penalty that gets you first and 20. Uh, maybe it's just a false start or again, something that gets you behind the chains. Maybe it's a turnover. Maybe it's just something that they, you know, they can't consistently put those type of plays together and the defense can, can hold you three or four and out at some point. So they're betting that you can't go 15, 16 plays without making a catastrophic mistake on that specific drive. And through three games, Green Bay has been successful at that. And to be fair, if Dean Lowry makes that tackle on fourth and goal, or if the Packers defense comes up with that stop on fourth and goal, they would have only allowed one real touchdown drive through three games. So that philosophy is working. And again, this isn't to absolve the Packers defense from any errors. You know, Kevin King had a missed tackle in the open field. We talked about the Dean Lowry uh, missed tackle and the Packers missed tackle on fourth and goal. Uh, There were a couple other plays, you know, uh, Kevin King got beat kind of on a double move. We saw last week, Darnell Savage gets beat in the open field in the Delvin Cook touchdown. You know, Jair Alexander on the Stephon Diggs play. So this isn't to say that some of those plays can't get cleaned up. But you're basically trying to play house rules. You're trying to be the casino. You're trying to give them the least, most opportune, uh, you know, advantages to try to come up and, and score points. And defenses are willing to take some risks and say, we'll give up some of these, you know, five and six yard runs, five and six yard completions here and there, because we're going to be able to bring some pressure at times. We're going to be able to force some turnovers. We're going to be able to force some sacks. You're going to have some penalties. And then that's when we'll get off the field. And if along the way we allow, uh, you know, some field goals here or there, that's fine. And if you look at it, I know I kind of just went over this a little bit, but the the four touchdowns that Green Bay has allowed so far, again, Dalvin Cook touchdowns, Stephon Diggs touchdown, and the two Philip Lindsay touchdowns, right? The one Philip Lindsay touchdown, the first one today, uh, that one actually a legitimate touchdown drive, legitimate touchdown. 
All right. On the three other touchdowns, if Darnell Savage makes the tackle in the open field against Cook, if Jair Alexander comes down and either just knocks the ball away or comes up with an interception against Stephon Diggs, and if Dean Lowry comes up with that tackle on fourth down against Philip Lindsay, that's only one touchdown allowed in four games. And, and the reason I bring that up isn't to say, oh, what if, or how close were they? Because it doesn't matter. They allowed four touchdowns is, is the bottom line. The reason that's important is Mike Pettin is putting his players in positions to be successful. He is doing his job to get his defense off the field. Four touchdowns allowed. Three of them could have been uh, you know, non-touchdowns if the Packers execute on those specific plays. So that's really what I, what I wanted to point out here is just how good of a job that Mike Patton has done at getting his players in positions to be successful, getting them in positions to be able to make turnovers with even just a little bit better execution. I think Green Bay can start making some of those plays and uh, I, I think they can even potentially get better on defense, which is really saying something, again, especially when they've only allowed 35 points so far through three games in the season, which is really, really incredible, especially when you look at where this defense has been through the course of the last few years. There's also some concerns in this game. So a lot of positives. Defense continues to remain a positive. You know, offense has been up and down, probably a little bit more down than up through the course of three games. But here were some of my main concerns coming out of this game and and kind of what I've seen through three games so far. The first one is the lack of explosive plays through the running game. So there have been some grinded out performances running the football. I thought Green Bay did a really nice job in week two against Minnesota. Aaron Jones had over 100 yards. They were tough yards to come by, but they, they did their best and they got uh, you know 100 yard rushing game. It set up some play action. And of course, they get out of there with a win. Today, those yards were even harder to come by. But if you look at it as a whole through three games, their longest run of the year is only 15 yards. And Aaron Jones is a very explosive running back and has the ability uh, to really be dynamic in the open field. And we just haven't seen that yet from this offense, from Aaron Jones, or from really anyone carrying the ball. When you're three games in and your longest run is 15 yards, it just shows that you're having trouble uh, getting explosive plays, getting to the second level, and making defenders miss. And I think if you have kind of been watching closely, there haven't been a lot of opportunities for the running backs to get one-on-one on the second level and make some of those plays. And I think that's really been the issue. So kudos to the the offense, the offensive line, the running backs for for grinding out some tough yardage. But until this offense starts getting some explosive plays in the running game, it's going to continue to be a grind. And uh, that's something that they really have to figure out over the course of the next few weeks and, of course, the rest of the season game in three days. So they'll have an opportunity to, to maybe get some explosive runs against a pretty beat up Philly defense. Uh, so hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. But that, that's one concern that I have at this point is just the lack of explosive plays in the run game. The second concern I have is with the, the secondary weapons on this team, the tight ends, the, the, the receivers three through six, uh, those type of players are, are really where I have my concerns with. So if you look at three games so far, so basically any wide receiver or tight end on the roster that's not named Devontae Adams or Marquez Valdez-Scantling, through three games, they've had 24 targets, only 15 catches, 159 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, two touchdowns for that group of player, not so bad. 
but 15 catches for 159 yards through three games for every receiver and tight end not named MVS or Devontae Adams. That's just not a ton of production, especially from that tight end group. They're basically averaging five catches and 53 yards per game. Now, people have pointed out this is a more balanced offense, right? So uh, they're running the football more. They're trying to spread the ball around more. The running backs are receiving more targets out of the backfield. So there's only going to be so many targets to go around. And uh, that may be why the, you know, the, the third and fourth receivers and the tight ends just haven't been able to maybe come up with some of those plays. But there has to be more production. They have had 24 targets. 15 catches on 24 targets is not great, but more importantly, 159 yards on 24 targets is really where the issue is. There's been no explosive plays. Jimmy Graham had a a pretty solid first game of the year, especially when you count in uh, the, the pass interference penalty, the touchdown, you know, he hurdled the one player. That was kind of the one okay game, but players like Geronimo Allison, Robert Tanyan, uh, Jimmy Graham as a whole through three games, uh, those players have yet to really step up and make an impact. Geronimo's had a really tough start to the season, the fumble last week. He did have the touchdown, uh, had a drop this week, had another screen pass this week that went for negative yardage. So he's got to find a way to get going, and and overall Green Bay's got to find more production out of their secondary weapons. Last week I noted against Minnesota when I was putting my grades together, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones scored plus 3.40 in my grading system for week two. The rest of the running backs, fullbacks, wide receivers, tight ends combined, negative 3.3. So as it goes right now, MBS had a better game this week, no question about it. But as it goes right now, this is kind of Devontae, Aaron Jones... MVS, maybe a little Jamal Williams sprinkled in. Those are the players that they have to count on right now. It's not like the cupboard's bare, right? Devontae Adams is a really big time wide receiver. We've seen some signs out of MVS. Aaron Jones has the ability to be a big play running back. Hasn't shown it this year yet, but we know that that's something he's more than capable of. We've seen some plays from Mercedes Lewis. We saw a big play today to Danny Vitale. But overall, the, the secondary weapons on this team have to step up and that's still a a big concern for this offense. And I think a big reason why they haven't had sustained success through the course of a game so far. And then my, my other concern, not so much on the season, but today, uh, the player that maybe at least at first glance didn't have the greatest game, Kevin King had the big missed tackle in the open field that led to a big game. Uh, later had a missed, uh, a ba- basically a miss on a double move uh, to Cortland Sutton, uh, where he kind of lost track of where the ball was. Um, I saw some people saying after the game that maybe he uh, thought that he was going to have safety help. I-, I think that honestly, he was covering on the play and thought the ball went elsewhere and kind of just stopped. And then all of a sudden realized that, you know, Cortland, Cortland Sutton caught the ball uh, and then he had to kind of go chase him down for the tackle. So uh, some not great plays. He did have a, a nice stop on third down later in the game where he made a sure tackle to get the defense off the field. I think Kevin King's in a really interesting spot where a lot of the fan base just wants him to stay healthy and is upset with him because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, which to me is still ridiculous. You can't control injuries. It is what it is. I get the old adage, your best uh, ability is availability, but it's tough to take that out on a player. And then there's another group of players that I think to an ex- or another group of fans, I guess I should say, that I think overrate Kevin King just a little bit. And we saw some really great things in week two. And I think overall, he's put together a pretty nice season so far, but he's still not a total complete player. And I think we saw a little bit of that today. 
Last week he had a solid grade, but it wasn't like this spectacular grade uh, overall uh, from my for me when I was kind of going back through it. And I think this week he showed a little bit of that as well. He still struggles with in-breaking routes. He can struggle with double moves from time to time. Don't get me wrong. This defense is much better with Kevin King on the team. We've seen that for two years now. Uh, but I think some people are still believing that when he's healthy and on the field, that he's like this top-tier corner. And I just don't think he's shown that quite yet. So he's good. He's a talented player. Green Bay's better when he's on the field. Uh, but today had a couple hiccups, some things that he needs to get cleaned up. And uh, I still think he has a little ways to go uh, before he really solidifies himself as as one of the, the really top-tier corners in this game. Uh, unlike Jair Alexander, who, by the way, is well on his way to being one of those top tier corners. So uh, tough day, tough day for Kevin King, but I've I have no doubts that he's going to bounce back and uh, have better days going forward. Some other interesting notes from today's game. Uh, Josh Jackson got some play at safety. So this is something that a lot of people have been clamoring for. Uh, this was more of a, a dime type uh, position at first glance. It looked like Will Redmond was still getting some nickel snaps at safety. Uh, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage were there in the base. And then it looked like Josh Jackson was there in, in some of the nickel situations. Uh, so he was playing that, that deep safety along with Darnell Savage. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Like, like I said, a lot of people have been calling for that, wanting him to play some safety. I had hypothesized that, uh, you know, early or, you know, that with Raven Green's injury, that maybe, just maybe, uh, there would be a, a Tremont Williams sighting at safety to try to get some of these corners like Tony Brown and uh, Josh Jackson on the field. That was not the case. They did they did not move Tremont Williams around. He stayed at, at cornerback. Uh, and instead, it was really Josh Jackson that got some of the opportunity there. So Josh Jackson has great ball skills, and he is best in zone coverage. So because of that, it would lend itself well to play uh, to playing a safety position. He struggled last year coming up and making pure tackles. So uh, if he's going to play safety, he needs to tackle really well. He was not put in any compromising situations this week, at least uh, that I saw at first glance. So that's something that's worth keeping an eye on. But obviously, Green Bay feels comfortable with him there if they were playing him there. And I I think that's a positive development for Josh Jackson and potentially this Packers defense as a whole. Another interesting note, I was going through and taking a look. So uh, Green Bay was never losing in this game. They were never losing against Minnesota. And in fact, it had been since uh, the Bears went up three to nothing in the first quarter of game one in Chicago. Six minutes and one second later, Jimmy Graham scored a touchdown at the beginning of the second quarter. And that was the last time that Green Bay trailed at any point this season. So a uh, heck of a, a start for Matt LaFleur and this team overall, where they go down 3 nothing. Six minutes later, they take the lead and they have not been down since. They've played 180 minutes of total football and they've trailed for, again, only six minutes and one second. And they've never trailed for more than a field goal through three games so far. So hopefully they can keep that up against Philadelphia. More interesting notes, the NFC North. Lions and Vikings win today. Of course, the Bears plan Monday night football against Washington. NFC North goes 3-0 this week, including the Packers. They are 8-2-1, and one, the NFC North, that is, uh, you know, going into the Bears game on Monday night. 8-2-1. The only two losses in the division both at the hands of your Green Bay Packers. So uh, Green Bay is definitely making some noise within this division. It is going to be a very tough division. Again, they have not lost uh, to anyone outside of Green Bay so far. So the NFC North continues to put up victories. Thankfully, the Packers are 3-0. and They have two of those wins against division opponents and uh, hopefully can go to 4-0 and again as they take on Philadelphia this coming Thursday. 
That mostly does it for me today. A a solid performance from Green Bay. Uh, There's a lot to clean up here, right? The offense is not clicking on all cylinders. Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur uh, have both, you know, kind of uh, agreed to that and been vocal about that as well. But there's a little bit more accident forgiveness, of course, when you are starting 3-0 and and off to the start that they are. I also think that uh, the defense's performance, while spectacular and while phenomenal and uh, w- while really impressive overall and a huge night and day difference from a season ago, it's been against Mitch Trubisky, against Kirk Cousins, and against Joe Flacco. And uh, I do think that there's some questions as to how Green Bay will respond when they're playing some bigger quarterbacks and big time quarterbacks and, uh, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, able to, to push the ball down the field a little bit more, be a little bit more accurate, be a little bit more dynamic. Carson Wentz has the ability to be that type of player. He may be, may or may not be without Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson as they go into this week. They were without those two players today as they lost uh, against the Detroit Lions. So, uh, you know, what type of weapons they have on Thursday will really be worth monitoring. But I am very excited to see how, how Green Bay can play against a quarterback like Carson Wentz, who just has a lot more talent than maybe some of the, the quarterbacks that they've played so far. So, Overall, three and zero. A lot to be excited about. Green Bay. Uh, you 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 cannot be uh, disappointed with where they're at. There can be things that they can still clean up, uh, but being three and zero and and being able to clean those things up, hopefully going forward, is exactly where you want to be at this point in the season. Green Bay gets ready for Eagles on Thursday night football. Quick turnaround. We'll see how they respond to that. Uh, we get you ready for that game as Jake and Ross start getting you ready tomorrow. They'll start taking a look at some of the key matchups and reviewing some of the biggest storylines for Thursday night's game. I'm sure they'll have some takeaways from uh, today's game or uh, the game against the Broncos as well. That does it for me today. This has been a lot of fun. I'm losing my voice. I was at the game. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, it's it's been a wild ride. I was at the, the game last week too. And just been a, a lot of fun to, to be out there, see how this team is performing and to see them go 3-0 and in the Matt LaFleur era. Listen, the Packers are 3-0. and They have one of the top defenses in football and have another game in three days. Enjoy it, everyone. This doesn't always happen. It's been a lot of fun to start the season. I'm going to leave you, as always, with a big Go Pack Go. Enjoy it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.